Well, welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and we are um, we're in the month of July. And in the month of July, we're going to be starting a new uh, seven, uh, beginning of the month, uh, seven weeks of reading, uh, something related to the life of Christ, to Jesus. And this month, it's about Jesus being the servant leader. Um, that's where we're at for this month. I think the rest of this month we'll be working through uh, the life of David from the Old Testament from 1 Samuel, so you can look forward to that in the uh, in the coming weeks. But today we're going to talk about several passages in Matthew, um, Luke, a John passage, and I think even a Philippians passage, all related to uh, Jesus as the servant. And as you think through the gospel story, it's not hard I think, to find passages uh, that talk about Jesus as being the servant. Um, I feel like so much of the time as you read through the gospel accounts, this was a reoccurring uh, reminder that Jesus was constantly giving to his disciples, to his followers, about being a servant, about being a servant, about being a servant. Because being a servant, you know, as far as the apostles were concerned, in their thinking, it was different. Uh, than what they were used to in the world and they lived in. Um, so we're going to look at some passages here. The first one is in uh, Matthew 16. And uh, Matthew 16, uh, this is a, a familiar passage, I think, to most. Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. This is about Jesus. Um, you know, he's talking about his death that's coming up. Um, and he's talking about the importance of serving, the importance of, of what it means. And of course, this is the famous passage where Peter gets in here. And Jesus says, I've got to go to the cross. And Peter's like, no, no, Lord, you can't go to the cross, as if Peter's trying to control things that Jesus is trying to do here. And we kind of ensue. So, so what about this passage, Matt? That, is there anything that stuck out to you about this that was, uh, you know, I, I realize, and we realize that many of you have probably read through this passage, probably heard sermons preached on this passage. I don't think it's our intent to draw anything new from it. It's just our intent to remind sometimes, and that's a big thing that we miss. So what about this passage that, that spoke to you this time around as you read through it? Well, this passage, especially when butted up against the other passages we're going to be studying this right, week, right. It, it seems as though the disciples had a very worldly understanding of what, it, of what Jesus yeah. was bringing in, this kingdom that Jesus was promising. <laughs> uh, and I think they thought they were on the ground floor of something that was going to put them in some very... Uh, so very prestigious positions. Yeah. So they were always kind of jockeying to see who would be, the, and we'll get into that, yeah. I know, later this week, who will be the greatest. <laughs> and and then, of course, they think, well, if Jesus, Jesus is our leader, Jesus is this one who's going to establish this kingdom, well, you know, he, he's going to be the most authoritative and uh, in the sense that we know all of the other leaders in our in our area were you know, they, they had to yeah. compare Jesus's leadership you know when they thought of a leader they thought of the Pharisees yep. the religious leaders exactly. they thought of the um, the greco-roman leaders who yep. used their authority to lord it over people and to enrich themselves so when Jesus said in verse 21 of this passage um, he told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things that was so antithetical to yeah, what the to disciples what assumed Jesus was going to be doing. Um, by yeah. the way, it's probably never a good idea to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but this is a one-time <laughs> case when you have <laughs> Jesus with you. You know, it's a whole different story. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th I think the temptation that they fell into is a temptation that we all still face today. It's a temptation to use our power, our prestige, mm -hmm. our positions um, to get what we want. And, and, you know, even within the church, sometimes you see that, and it's not it's not good anywhere in life. Um, but sometimes, even in the church, you see that. But Jesus here, um, 
is is rebuking. Of course, he rebukes Peter. Of course, Peter also rebukes him, but he rebukes Peter. And here's Peter, who's um, I feel like you know we I feel like we know Peter. You know, we've seen so much of him in the New Testament. I feel like we know him. He's emotional. He's kind of in charge. He's kind of protective of the whole group, and he is the natural leader. And of course, Christ would. You know, here in Matthew, I think it's 18, where he talks about Peter and upon Peter, I'll build my church. So he is the natural leader, but I think he's falling into that temptation. And uh, my translation in uh, verse 23, uh, it really stuck out to me. I'm reading from NLT. Uh, the last part of the phrase, it says, well, I'll read verse 23. It says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, mm-hmm. not from God's point of view. And of course, Jesus just told them, Two verses or three verses earlier, this was God's plan. This was God's point of view. And Peter's sitting here arguing, saying, I don't think that's a good idea. I think we should do something else. And how many times have we said that in conversations? You know, Lord, I've got a better plan, or I want it to work this way this time, and yet God has another plan. And, of course, Jesus continues with the, with the famous statement here, if any of you want to be my follower, you must... Turn from your ways and take up your cross and follow me. And I think that's interesting. And I was thinking about this, and I wasn't able to come to a kind of a conclusion of this, and maybe you can, Matt, but, you know, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. But he's already referencing, take up your cross and follow me. So I wonder if they really understood what that meant. And I know that in the crucifixion, when a criminal was crucified, he'd often have to carry his cross. Um, so maybe they were really well acquainted with what that was like. But never in this context, a little different, because he's talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. He's talking about um, you know, making following me a priority. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And maybe they uh, knew that, but I wonder if they really truly understood that he was going to have to bear his cross. It, it seems like they didn't. Yeah. If, if, you take yeah. Peter's, <laughs> if you take Peter's response, right. and especially, you know, Today, we, we look back at the Bible, when we think of a cross, we think of something that was you know, that Jesus suffered on, but we have a more positive right. connotation when we think of cross, because we think of that's the symbol of where Jesus yeah. you know, paid for our sins and, and, and saved us. But when you, the disciples hadn't seen Jesus on the cross, they didn't understand the victory that would come through the cross, the only context they had was the most humiliating death that anyone could die in in that Greco-Roman you know, world and in Palestine, the way that people would be executed, they have to carry their cross, they'd be executed naked in a public place, people would hurl insults at them, so the, yeah. the life that Jesus was calling them to and the way that they would have understood that would be not just self-denial, but you know, to where people, people aren't going to understand why you're living the way that you're living. Yeah. Um, just it wasn't a it wasn't a good picture we'll yeah. say. Now, in this verse as well, uh, some people I have asked me about you know this reference to Satan is is Jesus really saying that Peter is Satan or is Peter is Satan possessed with Peter? You have to understand. And if you take this passage and you make a comparison with this passage back to Matthew chapter four with the temptation of Jesus, and Jesus is trying to connect these two things because what happens is that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus and say you can have you know, the whole kingdom, you can have the crown without going to suffering through the cross. And what's happening is that Peter is doing the exact same thing that Mm -hmm. Satan tried to do. Peter's saying, Jesus, you don't have to go and suffer, you can just bring in your kingdom now. So that's why he's making the connection 
and saying Satan and saying Peter. Peter's not Satan. Satan is not possessed by, or, or Peter's not possessed by Satan. He's just saying, Peter, you're doing the same thing that Satan tried to do to me. And I wonder, after Jesus explained that, you know, what he says and the reference, and, and I wonder if Peter would have known about the, I'm sure he would have known about the temptation and the things experienced, but to us today, as we look back and we compare both passages, we're like, whoa, I don't want to be like Peter. You know, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to use the same temptations that, that uh, Satan tempted, but it's, it, it's a way to connect the passages. Of course, we know that Scripture is always its best interpreter. You, know, you compare Scripture with Scripture, mm-hmm. and I, that's what Jesus is doing here. But just in case you've ever wondered about that little phrase, you know, Jesus is not uh, I'm saying that, that, that Peter is somehow transformed into Satan, and is, but in the same way, bringing the same temptation. So if Satan, and I guess here's the bigger picture, if Satan tried that temptation, and if the apostles here, Peter, also using the same temptation, then you know, that was a big uh, temptation, we might say, that Jesus faced throughout his whole ministry. Because even in the garden, remember the story in the garden when he goes to Gethsemane, and he's like, Lord, is there any way that I don't have to go through this suffering? And he says, but nonetheless, your will be done. So I think that was the greatest temptation, if, if anything, all that, because he knew, Jesus knew what it was going to entail. Absolutely. Uh, the hor- the horribleness of it and that crucifixion. Um, but then again, he went willingly and that's the point. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff in that in that passage, and I hope as you read through that passage, um, you'll come away with some some good principles that we can apply. I think just you know being uh, well, we're talking about Jesus as the servant uh, because he essentially was, and here Peter is the it's opposite. You know, he's supposed to be the servant, but he's not being the servant. You know, he makes a declaration just early on: "You are the Christ, the Son of God." So now do this. You know, he's not being the good servant. He's supposed to be. There's a couple other passages in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 18 and Matthew 20, um, and these are passages that also uh, deal with Jesus as being the servant. What about this Matthew 18? Again, the greatest in the kingdom, 18 verses 1 through 8. And uh, um, notice the reference about a child. So, what, what did you think about this passage in Matthew 18? Well, I noticed the, the, the who and the whoever in the passage there. And when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus, the servant leader, and we think about us following in his footsteps. And sometimes we're given the the opportunity uh, to be leaders to those around us. And we think of how leaders are often selected. You think about the leaders in our nation. Yeah, it, you, you, it seems like you almost have to come from a certain pedigree. Yeah, um, or you have to be have money. <laughs> you, you have to be good on camera. You have to have money. You have to have connections. Yeah. Yeah. And leadership is often based on uh, on a hierarchy. But Jesus says, "Whoever." He says, whoever humbles himself, whoever receives uh, one such child, he says that in the, the passage that we, we dealt with uh, before in Matthew 16, mm-hmm. that whoever, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, whoever loses his life will find it. Uh, so th- this life that Jesus offers isn't for a select few, even this, this servant leadership um, that Jesus is displaying for us to follow. It's not yeah. just for people who maybe we would think of as leadership material. Um, it's anyone who's willing to to follow Jesus, and he he references this child here, and he he I guess he just has 
children. Yeah, it's interesting to think about all the people that were around when Jesus was saying some of these things to his disciples. It didn't just happen in a vacuum. There must have been a crowd, right. a, yeah. a crowd around him, and there were children in that crowd. And um, imagine being that child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no. that was Jesus's object lesson, right? Um, and uh, and Jesus r- reminds us uh, that um, that we have to become we have to become like a child. Yeah. And as you as you're like a child, I think the reference here is that um, you don't really have concern for positions or power or this mm-hmm. or that. All you're concerned about is, as a child, you think back, what are you going to have next to eat? Yeah. <laughs> that was the main thing. <laughs> and what are you going to do next? Who are you going to play with? Activity stuff, fun. You know, you didn't have to worry about anything, you know, about bills, about responsibilities, about car payments, about, you know, house stuff. I mean, all that stuff as a child. That's why sometimes I wish I could go back living as a child, knowing what I know now go back living as a child, and you'd think you'd be so much easier. Now, of course, there's always struggles, always responsibilities, those things you have to learn. But the point of what Jesus is trying to make here is that little children have, they don't have concern about positions or privileges in relation to others. But the disciples seem to be always, like you say, jockeying for power, always, well, I can do this, or what about me here? Well, I can do this, or I want to be a leader here. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, they need to be different. And and I, I highlighted a verse in, uh, I think it's in 2026. 20, um, yeah. Uh, and that's the other passage that we uh, read related to this. It's, a par- it's about Jesus teaching about serving others. And this is where James and John, his mother, you know, I guess it's bad when your mom gets involved, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I, I think in verse 26, that phrase in my translation says, but among you it will be different. And for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. But that verse 26 really stuck out to me, but among you, will it will be different. And that's what he's saying. He's saying servant, servant, being a servant is something that is so different to this world. And he says, but among you, it has to be different. It has to be different. This is the way you show that you are different from others. Nobody has a natural propensity just to go and serve somebody else. They all want to be concerned about themselves. And Jesus says, it has to be different among you. For whoever wants to be a leader um, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And so he says, for even I didn't come uh, to... Uh, I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life. And, and of course, that's the ultimate act of, of servanthood. But I just like that phrase. That phrase really stuck out, stuck out to me. Just, but among you, it must be different. And I feel like it's just Jesus, um, it, you know, his, 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 his heart for them, his, his real thing he wants them to get more than anything else. It's got to be different because they've struggled, you know, being the same as the world or being tempted to have that power and prestige and using that to gain their positions. And and he says, among you, it has to be different. And, and sometimes it's very subtle. It's not, you know, these power grabs that you see on TV with politicians. Sometimes it's, you know, within a family, in a family structure, mm-hmm. um, within church settings, within small group settings, within small business settings. Um, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> you even see it out when you're in traffic on the interstate, right? <laughs> Don't you get in front of me. Don't be going slow in the fast lane. <laughs> it's, it's that whole of, of yep. you know being being preferring others and and serving others. Or wait a minute, you can't go all the way down in front of me in traffic line. You got to get over. It says you're supposed to be in the right lane. You follow the rules. And you know anyway, you can see how it can be in anything. It says, but among you, it must be different. It has to be different uh, because otherwise, how are they going to tell us apart? 
from the rest of the world. I wonder if uh, James and John were embarrassed mm. that their th- their mom was a helicopter parent, oh, you know, yeah. and went to and went to Jesus. I could just see him uh, saying, "No, mom, <laughs> why did you do that? No, yep. no, I'm so embarrassed." But it it, it reminds it reminds me in verse 26 he, after he says it in my version the ESV, "It shall not be so among you." Mm. It says, "Whoever would be great among you would be your servant, and whoever there's that whoever word again yeah, would is. be first among you must be your slave." And I think about that. Yeah, it's 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 open to anyone, but there's not a long line <laughs> of people who want to be first in God's kingdom and are willing to serve others and be even. Yeah, the term is a slave, which just yeah, a bond servant, a yeah, caring for others' needs above your own and serving others. Uh, there, there's mm-hmm. there's not a long line, um, you know. And I, and I think when we get into that kingdom, the line uh, that we see of uh, being first in the kingdom, we're not going to recognize anybody because they're all going to be no names mm-hmm. because they're going to be people are the the whoever's, yeah, the ones who have served faithfully, not named. And all these famous people we know about, they're going to be towards the back of the line. I have a feeling it's going to be that way. I, I don't know, but I just uh, the way that Jesus is talking here, you know, like you say, it's it's hard because they don't want to give up this this um, you know this selfishness about me, and it's all about uh, what I can do, and uh, and it's a struggle. And of course, the religious leaders moving into. Uh, Matthew 23, the section you had to read there, verses 1 through 12, that's for the religious leaders. And Jesus here says in verse 3, it says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow yeah. their example, he says. And I, that's pretty stark. That's pretty harsh. For they don't practice what they teach. That's what my translation says. I like the way it says it. He's criticizing these religious leaders. There's, they're supposed to be good people to emulate, to follow, Jesus says, listen to what they say, but don't follow their example. And see, sometimes I think we get in, we, 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 like you might have a, a pastor or a leader or a famous person who has this big downfall, and all of a sudden people lose faith in Christianity. And Jesus here is saying, he's helping contradict that. He's saying what should be said. Yeah, follow what they say they're teaching, but don't follow their example because they can fall short just like anybody else. And what happens is people get so obsessed with following a man, and when that man falls, then they lose faith because they put their faith in the man. The only man that we need to put our faith in is Jesus. He's the only one that we need to put our faith in. So I think this is a powerful phrase that is relevant for today because how many times has that happened? Even in the past decade, 20, 30 years, you know, well-known fellows have fallen and people get all frustrated and they lose the, you know, they lose their faith, not lose their faith, but they lose their, um, I don't know, their uh, conviction mm-hmm. maybe at times um, in the faith uh, because of one man. And that's sad. It's sad. And I'm sure the religious leaders, um, Jesus was pointing out to the religious leaders, um, I'm sure that they struggled with that too. But, but you know, there were some good, I, I, I don't know, I, I think we just have a give the religious leaders a bad rap. But mm-hmm. you got good guys like somebody like Nicodemus who was trying to understand. He was caught in a um, you know, caught in a, a battle, I think, with his own heart. He wanted to be, you know, friends with his religious leaders and pull them in at the same time he wanted to follow Jesus, and he just struggled. Um, and so not all religious leaders were bad necessarily, um, but what Jesus says here, it says uh, they crush people with their unbearable religious demands, verse 4, and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show, um, 
I mean, and it goes on. It's just, man. Um, verse 13, which is not in your reading, I have it highlighted, and, and that's one of the most powerful verses in this section to me. It says, for you shut the door, talking about the religious leaders, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you won't let others go in either. They were so obsessed with their power yeah. and their positions and authority and everybody following them, that they missed the Messiah and the real point of it. It's a reminder to us Man. that people are following you, whether we realize it or not. Mm. People are people are, are following us too, and um, that we need to be careful to point people to Jesus. It seemed like the Pharisees they were they were pointing the attention to themselves. You know, he, he talks about that they love the place of honor, mm. um, they love the greetings in the marketplaces, and all that. Yeah, you know, our job is to point people to Jesus, and especially when you compare um, Jesus and his leadership during his time on earth versus the Pharisees. Jesus was the, of course, the epitome of humility. He was, he was, he was so humble. But all of the, some of the most miraculous things that he did during his earthly ministry, uh, before right. dying on the cross, right. he either did them in secret, or he told the people who he healed or who he cast the demon out of, "Don't tell anybody." And and Jesus was not doing his miracles for for show and yeah. for. He wanted to keep him out of the public yeah. eye. And any time yeah, there was honor, he was always directing the honor mm. to, to the Heavenly Father. Um, so we, we see a model a model for us. Again, starkly through different Jesus. Than, yeah. than what the religious yep. leaders are saying. Um, and, and maybe that's why the disciples were so pulled. It's like, well, look, all the religious leaders are doing all this. They want all this. They want all this. Don't you want all this? You're the teacher of Israel. You're the rabbi. You're the, you're the soon-coming king. Shouldn't we want to be the same way? And I think maybe that's where they had the struggle, because growing up in a culture like that, it's hard mm -hmm. uh, to push away from that. Um, okay, well, um, we've got one passage in Luke, Luke 19, verses 11 to 26, and it's the parable of the ten servants. Um, and I, I think what's interesting about this is that the very first verse in 19 kind of sets the stage and helps you understand in Luke uh, 19, verse 11. I'm sorry, not the very first verse of Luke, but verse the first verse of what you're going to read, verse 11. It says, The crowd was listening to everything that Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So the main point of the story is to show that there's going to be a delay in the kingdom, in the kingdom coming. So the people were getting near to Jerusalem. They were anticipating him announcing his kingdom. And he says, I'm going to get ahead of this, so to speak, and I'm going to give them a parable that explains that the kingdom is not yet coming. It's going to be delayed. And, of course, he tells the story about the nobleman who goes away leaves things for his servants to invest, and he's going to come back later. It's very significant of Jesus, who will go away at the ascension and who will come back later to bring in the kingdom. So it kind of he's saying here, what are you going to do? Uh, that's the point. What are you going to do with the time that you have left? Um, this is different, by the way, of the parable of the talents, because remember the parable of the talents? He gave a certain man a certain number, a certain man a certain number, and a certain man a certain number. Here it says he divides out it evenly, Okay. So it has the idea that every person has one life to live for Christ. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to live it? You're going to live it well with the time that you have. And so this parable, and it's right before, again, the triumphal entry, um, a great parable, and, and, and it just shows that you know God looks at every single life as you have one life to live, and you get to choose, because it's your life, how are you going to live it for Christ? Are you going to invest 
or are you going to, like as one of these guys does here, the servant um, buried it, I think. Is this the one that says where he buried it or he hid it or something mm-hmm. and brought it back Yeah, he later? hid it in a handkerchief. Yeah. yeah. Why so, would you hide your testimony yeah. for Jesus? You know, that's what happens. And there are people who will do that because I think this parable is relevant to where we're at even today. And it, yeah, it, it when the one who has taken his ten talents and and yeah. and um, invested, he he says to him, "Well done, good servant." And of course, that's what we want to hear um, when yeah. Jesus returns. He says, "Because you've been faithful in very little, you'll have authority over ten cities." Mm. And you know, those little things. You know, we look at our our lives just like I think the disciples. They they were they were ready to take Jerusalem. Yeah, you know, they thought maybe that each of them would have little sections of the city, or yeah. you know, it seemed like they had quite a quite a lot built up in their minds as right. to what was coming when Jesus <laughs> would enter yeah. would enter the city. So when they would eventually, you know, they were starting to realize, okay, Jesus is going into this city to suffer. Yeah. Um, th- this is not what we had planned. And sometimes in our life, you know, we you know, we hear about doing great things for God and. You know, we're stuck at home for a year during a pandemic, or we're, yeah, we're, we're, life doesn't seem all that spectacular. Uh, we remember that being faithful in very little has it, it's very important for the life to come and and, and the kingdom to come uh, when Jesus comes back. And and you make a point about the city specifically, and it, it's a it's a a literal a physical thing too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so the indication there is that. You know, in that kingdom, there will be servants who are given authority to rule over certain sections or cities, as it were, here. So it's not some kind of uh, spiritual or, or some kind of like uh, mythical thing, a reward that you're going to have. It's not really going to be a reward, it's just going to be a title or something. No, according to what Jesus is saying here, and of course, other passages as well, um, it's the idea that they would actually have rule over certain mm-hmm. areas as to how faithful they are. And, and so if it was going to be something different, then Jesus would have hinted at that. He would have made it different. So there's a lot of little places here all over, you know, you wouldn't think of um, this little section here having anything to do with like the physical things or rewards you'd get in the kingdom if you were faithful. But but here it is kind of hidden away. That's why as you read God's Word every time, these verses that are probably familiar to most of you, you know, as you read through them every time, you get... Uh, you know, Jesus or the Holy Spirit really illuminates your minds and your hearts with different things from the Scripture. Uh, God's Word is is uh, inexhaustible. Um, but the point was, is again, they didn't understand Mm-mm. that there was going to be a delay. Um, they didn't know. Um, of course, Jesus knew. And of course, that was the triumphal entry and all part of that. Um, good passage. Um, and compare that passage with the parable of the Ten Talents. And there's a lot of principles back and forth, but kind of is one major difference there. Now, in John 13, that's the John passage, kind of systematically going through Matthew and Luke. Now, John, uh, John 13, 1 through 7 is another passage you'll read, and of course, is the passage where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and, and um, you know, Peter gets excited and says, or Peter says, I don't want you to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you can't be made clean. And then Peter says, well, just wash everything. Wash my feet, <laughs> my hands, my head, uh, you know, wash all of me. Um, you gotta love Peter. Though. He was yeah. all in. Whatever, whatever was going on, he was he was all in. So yeah, and and, and he was. But I, I think what um, uh, what stuck out to me the most it says um, 
the uh, where he says, "Accept your feet." And I know it's in the passage there. Simon Peter exclaimed, "Then wash my feet, my hands, Lord." Jesus replied, "A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except the feet to be entirely clean." And you think about, you know, if they were going around on their feet walking all the day, that was the one area that mm-hmm. got the dirtiest or the uh, that needed to be cleaned the most, I guess you might say. It often reminds me of that passage in First John one nine where it talks about we need to confess our sins daily so that we can be clean, you know, and, and going through life, your feet get dirty, you know, your hands get dirty with things. And so it's a reminder um, that we need to be uh, confessing our sins, examining ourselves. This is not a salvation experience thing here. It's a sanctification. It's being set apart each day because, you know, while we've been justified, those who've accepted Jesus and put their faith in, in Jesus for eternal life, you know, they've been justified. Uh, but now we live this life of, of Christianity, of following Jesus like the disciples were. And and from time to time, we need to have our feet cleaned, I guess is what the the, uh, the message here is, uh, because they can become dirty so easily. Yeah. And you know, our, our next passage is going to be Philippians chapter 2. And right. in this instance here is almost a microcosm yep. of yep. Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus took a towel, tied it around his waist. He took the form of a servant. Yeah. In this case, exactly. physically, visibly, the form of a servant, and then yep. he began to wash his disciples' feet. He did the work, the work of a servant, and and of course Jesus said, he said, what you're, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And then in verse 12, he washed when he'd washed their feet and put the outer garment back, and he resumed his place. He said, Do you understand what I've done to you? Yeah. And he explains the significance of what he did. He says, if if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And yeah, yeah. Of course, he didn't literally mean that that would be... Yes. And of course, there are some people that believe that that, that was a, yeah, is to be taken incredibly literally, but yeah. it seems the significance here is that, that we should be serving each other, and if Jesus could do one of the lowest of the lowly jobs to his disciples while on yeah. earth, you know, there, there's nothing beneath us when we're serving others to serve Jesus. Yeah, and I can't think of a, a, a something that would be, you know, more of a servant, of a slave, washing somebody's feet, you know. You think about <laughs> being in your feet, in your socks, in your shoes all day long, in yep. the air, and it stink. And Or if you walk outside, sometimes like I do in the grass, and, and you get your feet dirty, or you run outside for something, and your bottom of your feet are so dirty, it feels like they're the thing that gets dirty the easiest and and i think that's what jesus was saying it's like you know you use your feet constantly they're in Mm -hmm. contact with the world and everywhere you go and so there's a need to 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 make sure that um you're confessing your sins and of course you know like matt said i mean if you're not willing to uh, do the lowliest work um then you're not willing uh you know it's what it says um I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters. I'm reading verse 16, nor is mm-hmm. the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. For that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And I agree with what you're saying. I think that's a great comparison. Um, I don't know if that's why I put these two passages after one another or not, but I guess I could sound smart by saying I did it that <laughs> way. But you go into the Philippians 2 passage, mm-hmm. and of course, it's a great passage where it talks about how Jesus truly, uh, his ultimate act of servanthood of him becoming, uh, you know, taking on the form of flesh, become, becoming a man, because in becoming a man, he knew that he'd have to suffer and he'd have to die. 
Um, he, took, he takes up the position of a servant, of a slave, and he humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death, it says, even the death of, cro- even mm-hmm. the, death of the cross. Um, again, he was willing to go through with the Father's plan. The temptation, again, we talked about with, with what Satan did in Matthew 4 and what Peter tried to do, same temptation. Um, have the crown without all the suffering, but Jesus knew that the suffering had to come first. Um, and so our faithful service to our faithful service to God is an offering to God, just like mm-hmm. Jesus' life was an offering to appease God's wrath in, in the same way. But as you read through that Philippians passage, it, it truly, I mean, um, all that Christ had, all the positions, all the power, I think, uh, you know, that's the epitome of what it looks like to be a servant. And all these passages have, they, they follow the same the same pattern mm-hmm. where, yeah, and of course, the pattern that Jesus set, right? Uh, where in this life we humble ourselves mm. and we serve because there is a reward coming mm-hmm. where Jesus, it says he was, um, God highly exalted him. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking forward to a day, first when we get to see the exalted Christ. Amen to that. And then... Um, where those who have been serving and those who have humbled themselves will be given rewards, and not will be exalting themselves, but will be in a place where we're rewarded yeah. by God. So there's that there's that pattern of serving and being humble, uh, and following Jesus' example in mm-hmm. this life, yeah. waiting for Christ's second coming when when we will. I guess we could say reap the rewards yeah. of the uh, of that faithful, humble service to Him um, through serving others. Yeah, and not everybody is going to see your serving. Mm-hmm. You know, your serving is something that you do that's between you and God. Really, I mean, yeah, we serve in the church, and <clears throat> people naturally see that because, I mean, you can't help but if you serve in if you if you're a group leader, then people will naturally see you or know you as a group leader. I mean, it's naturally going to happen. But a lot of times we serve. Um, unknowingly, uh, kind of in private, uh, just between us and God, because He's the one that's going to be the rewarder. Christ is going to be the one that's going to be that rewarder uh, in that kingdom. But yeah, all these passages talk about that whole faithfulness and, and that whole idea of, of humility. And I guess if there's one character trait that really needs to be pushed about Jesus being a servant is His humility, because He humbled Himself, like it says in that Philippians 2 passage, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, so that, or as a result, God highly exalts Him. Um, and, and so in the same way, if we humble ourselves and become obedient to following Christ and to following His Word and to being faithful, then one day we will get that exaltation as well. And uh, um, But needless to say, I think we should say this as well. You know, <clears throat> I want to be careful to say that I don't think we're doing it for the rewards. No. I think the rewards are something that's going to happen, mm-hmm. and that's great. That's fantastic. But just knowing that we have a home prepared for us, I think it's enough for all of us. And knowing we have a home prepared for us in heaven, um, thereby we start living a life here that's thankful. And it's it's a, almost a, a, servant, a servant's heart of thankfulness. You know, so they're so thankful that this has happened. What can I do? How can I continue to serve? I want to show my gratitude. And I think we'll spend all of eternity uh, showing that gratitude by being faithful. And again, by having, like the apostles did, you know, positions over cities and over places. I mean, we'll have things to do. Um, I think that misnomer of, you know, floating on a cloud, you know, uh, strumming a harp and just singing praises to 
Jesus every day, all day for eternity. I think sometimes that bothers people. They think about, well, what else were we going to (laughs) do? I just hope we don't have to mow grass for eternity. (laughs) I'm about worn out from it. (laughs) Hey, you know what? The good thing is, is that I'm sure there will be lots of things that we experience here that we'll be doing there. It's just there won't be any. It won't be difficult. It won't Mm -hmm. be hard. Mowing the grass will be a piece of cake, and it's going to be easy (laughs) if we have to mow it, or gardening or anything else. I can't wait for the day where I don't have to pick any more weeds, Uh, the weeds coming up in the garden or anything like that. Uh, But anyway... um, so as you read the passages this week, we're getting really off topic, but as you read the passages this week, stay focused on Jesus being the servant. And, and how can you this week uh, maybe be a better servant? Maybe there are some ways that you need to get involved in uh, to become a better servant. Um, ask the Lord to show you. Ask Him to open up passages of Scripture, and we've given you passages of Scripture this week to read through as we focus on Jesus as the servant. So that's all we've got for this t- uh, for this. This week, next week, we'll start our series in David and the life of David. Lots of good things in the life of David. Uh, so we'll see you next time.